you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. When you think of outsiders, you think of people who just don't seem to fit. Or you think of outcasts and rebels, the people on the outside looking in. But what did Jesus think about outsiders? We are diving right on into week two of our series called The Outsiders. Let's listen in. Again, everybody, if I haven't gotten a chance to say good morning personally yet, it's a smaller group this morning, but I'm just going to say collectively, hello, good morning. It's so good to see everybody. Like I said, I was gone last weekend, but I could not wait to be back. I, I was telling the group, uh, we get together about uh, about 10 minutes after 10 for, for prayer, and I said, I have this awkward love, like, with you guys, and it's, it, it borderlines unhealthy, and it borderlines obsessive, but I do, I love you guys so much, and I could not, I, I loved being in Brainerd, I loved getting to share with them what God's doing in our church, and, but man, I was just, like, checking my phone, and trying to see what was going on uh, at Motion City, because I wanted to be here, so just a quick tip, Update Instagram during church. It's fine. I'm totally cool with that. Uh, just so that when I'm gone, I can see what's happening. So just for any other reason, just so that I can, I can see what's going on. But, uh, man, it's so good. So good to be home. I wanted to first, uh, first and foremost uh, thank Pastor Matt for, uh, for preaching last week. He did a great job, man. Thank you so much for kicking off this series. Uh, it kicked off this amazing series uh, we're going to be in for the next two weeks. And I hope... As I was talking with Pastor Matt and I was, I was just trying to like process what he was going to be sharing with you guys about, the thing that I, I hope this week, uh, if you listen to Matt's message, was that we would be a community of people, that we would be not simply a community of faith, but just individuals who are inclusive rather than exclusive. Um, that was such a, a powerful word, such a powerful, uh, timely reminder, man, that life is more fun being an includer. And here's the deal. You don't need to be included to be an includer. Just include people. Make a posse. Make a crew. Just be an inclusive person. And, uh, and because, man, if there was ever a person who was inclusive, that wasn't it Jesus, and we're trying to be more like him. And so thank you, Matt. Appreciate you so much, buddy. I'm so excited about the church that you're planting, and you guys are getting prepared. But I'm also not excited about it because... You guys leave and do what God's called. I mean, really, I want you to do what God's called you to do, but not at our expense. So that's what I should, no, I'm just kidding. But it's all right to laugh in church, man. It's fine. So this morning, I'm just going to match this, the feel of the room. So this morning, we're going to be, no, we're going to be continuing in our series that we kicked off last week called True Stories of the Outsiders. And if you have a Bible or a Bible app, or hey, check this out. If you got the Motion City Church app, uh, there's a Bible part to that. So you can just open up your app and go right to the Bible. Convenient. Uh, but I just want to invite you uh, to turn to the book of Luke, the book of Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. Uh, just take two right turns after Matthew and Mark. And we're going to be sitting in chapter 8, uh, Luke chapter 8. And as you're turning to this morning, I wanted to share with you just a little story. Um, in, in, for most of my ministry career, for, for most of the time that I've been a pastor, I've, ex I've experienced uh, such a vast, just a lot of joys, a lot of fun, but most of that has been in youth ministry. And I love, love youth ministry, so excited about youth ministry, believe in young people, believe in teenagers. I'm so excited. Uh, in March, uh, I get to go speak at a youth retreat. In uh, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, which I don't even know where that is, but it's in Wisconsin. And so, um, uh, and so if anybody has any Vikings blankets that you want me to sleep in so I don't just, like, go over to the dark side, you know, we can do that. But I'm so excited about just going to this youth retreat. And, and so I've already started, like, pounding Red Bull just for, like, 
in preparation for the energy that I'm going to need. And I'm actually only going to be there like one night. So, um, but just love youth ministry. And so, so much of my ministry career thus far has been in youth ministry. And one of my favorite memories, and there's a lot of great memories, but one of my favorite memories was when I got to lead a junior high missions trip to Seattle, Washington. We uh, had a connection through a church, um, a cousin of one of our staff members, and they were doing a VBS and they were doing, like, their little area. Basically, it would be kind of like the equivalent of, like, our collective neighborhoods, like Standish and Corcoran and Powderhorn. And they were just, like, doing this huge invitation uh, for this VBS. And, like, they were, like, investing money. And, 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 it's, and it's, it's vision is so good. But, man, sometimes I, I, I can get so caught up in vision that I, that I don't realize that we don't have the hands to do it. And that's how we got – we ended up going to Washington. Because they got so much response, but they realized, oh, shoot, if we don't get other help, it will be probably one adult to 30 kids. And so they're like, so they reached down like, yeah, we'll do a junior high mission trip to Seattle. And so I got to go lead that. It was so much fun. And it was so just like energy consuming and, and sleepless nights and just horrible eating. And, and it was all kinds. Of, it was just so good. And one of the cool things is as we were preparing for a few days before the week actually kicked off, uh, one of the things that, that they wanted to do for our team and, and just open it up to the church is we kind of went and had a picnic on a Sunday morning at one of the, the local sounds or one of the local uh, beach areas. And, and we were just going to have a barbecue and we were going to go swimming because it was nice. And it was just a lot of fun uh, to get to know people from the church. And, and so the pastor of the church, just kind of in the, in the, in the, feeling of community was like, you know what, I want to open this up. Being that we got a lot of people here from the church, a lot of people from out of town, I want to open this up. If you want to get baptized, we're going to baptize you today. And so we're going to, we got water and we got people and that's just a good equivalent for baptism and, and a good equation for baptism. And so he, so people were like, yeah, I've never been baptized before. I just gave my heart to Jesus. And we got to hear cool stories and, and, and people from the church were getting baptized and we had people who were walking by that were skeptical and critical, and then all of a sudden got the opportunity, like they talked to the right person, and man, we had about four or five people who were just walking by as critics and skeptics find Jesus and get baptized on the, I mean, it was so cool, and, and it was just awesome to see what God did in, in, the, in a moment of, of, um, of honesty and vulnerability and just obedience, and one of the kids from our team, from our Minnesota team, hadn't been baptized yet, and so he comes up to me, he talks to me, he goes, Pastor Steve, I just, I, is, I, I've never been baptized before. Do you think this could be my time? And I was like, yes. And so it was so cool because we went into the water and, and we're talking and like, this is Jesse. People cheering and everything. Well, the other boy from our team was coming back from the bathroom and had no idea what was going on. And so what he thought was that we were just in the water messing around and wrestling. And so I'm, like, talking to, to kid, student number one, and, and, and I'm just, like, you saying, like, man, like, you know, this is, what, this is what's going to happen. Like, following obedience to Jesus. So I'm, like, I'm a crier, so I'm crying. And, and, and so but he thinks that we're just wrestling. So student number two just takes a full-blown sprint from bathroom to beach and just barrels into us and knocks us over and, and and so we're like we're getting up and I don't know what's happening student number 1 doesn't know what's happening student number 2 obviously doesn't know what's happening and people are just howling they are just laughing and then I get and I start and I have to explain dude we were about to baptize him and he was just like and just like 
horror. And he goes, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And he starts bowing and backing away, and he's just like so embarrassed. And I'm laughing, and student number one's confused. And, 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 so, and so we finished. It was, just this gr- it was a great, great moment. Um, wh- the Wednesday, I had FaceTimed into our student ministry, and I was like, they're like, do you have any stories to tell? I was like, yes, I do. And so they FaceTimed us in, and I got to tell the story. And uh, the student, I was trying to be hidden, and the student walked into the room as I was telling the story. And so I was trying to keep it, like, incognito, but he shows up in the video. He goes, you are not telling them the story. I'm like, and so it was, a, it was a great. But, um, but here's the deal. I tell you that story for two reasons this morning. Uh, number one, it's just a really good story. It's just a good story. Sometimes if you got a good story, you just tell it. You just, you don't care if you told it a thousand times or one, if it's a good story, it's a good story. And point number two is this. And in my world, we call this a transition. So check this out. That student, whether he knew it or not, and obviously he did not, disturbed a very sacred moment. And we are about to dive in, in part two of this series, into a story where we are going to be introduced to a woman who does the exact same thing to Jesus. This woman that we are going to read about is most definitely an outsider. She is absolutely an outsider, and she is treated as such by the community around her. And this woman is about to disrupt a moment between Jesus and, in my opinion, the most important person in the city that Jesus finds himself in. And so if you have a Bible, hopefully that's giving you enough time to find Luke chapter 8. So if you got a Bible, if you're at Luke chapter 8, if you don't, it's going to be up on the screen, so don't worry about it. But uh, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40, and this is what the Word of God says this morning. It says, on the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she had found, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. This morning, I want to talk to you about one of the two issues that we find happening in this story. And this morning, what I know, what I am confident of this morning is that there, for all the things that we list off in life that make us different, for all the reasons that we say that that, that we could not get along with somebody or that we're different from somebody else for all the reasons that you and I can come up with for what makes us different. There are fewer, fewer and greater things that make us the same. 
And if you're taking notes this morning, point number one is this. And what I want to do is I want to level the playing field. One of the things that makes us all the same is point number one is this. We all have issues. We all have issues. I mean, I have issues. My wife has issues. You've got issues. We, I kind of feel like Oprah this morning where it's like, you've got issues. And you've got issues. And you've got issues. We've all got issues. I mean, I, don't you just wish I was giving away cars, but I'm just giving away issues. You know what I mean? But I feel like I felt very much like Oprah this morning. And, and, and most of us, we do a pretty good job at trying to hide our issues or keep our issues at bay. But in life, there will always come a point where the issues that we're trying to hide can't be hidden any longer. And that you have to deal with them or you have to choose to allow them to keep dealing you. Now, when it comes to the topic of issues, and again, we've all got them, I put, them, I put issues into two categories. Um, number one is outsourced issues. Uh, outsourced issues are the issues that you don't go looking for, but they kind of go looking for you. Um, in, in, in student ministry and, and, you know, being the lead pastor of this church, you know, talking to so many people like uh, parents who get divorced. Um, I mean, if, if you've been a part of that, you know, that immediately that, that kind of raises up just maybe a few issues in life. Um, you know, we talked about in, in our previous series the topic of depression and anxiety. Sometimes there's just these chemical things that are off in our bodies, and, and those are things that we don't go looking for, but those are things that, that kind of feel like they come looking for us. And if you've got a, a, a bad medical diagnosis, man, those are just things that nobody wakes up and hopes for cancer. And it feels like there are so many issues in life that I call outsourced issues that seem to come looking for you. And then the second category is the insourced issues. These are issues that we bring on ourselves, that we open up and welcome. I, Galatians chapter 6 talks about that we will, we will reap what we sow. I like what uh, the New Living Translation says, you, you'll always get a harvest for what you plant. We'll always get a harvest for the things that we plant in our life. And, and it goes on to say that if we live to satisfy our sinful nature, we'll harvest decay and death. But if we, but if we, if we harvest what we plant in the spirit, if we live to please the spirit, we'll harvest everlasting life in that spirit, and so in, in the, from the spirit. And so our lives are constantly a, a lives of reaping what we're sowing. And we are all today dealing with the consequences of sowing either to our spirit or to our sin nature. Some of us are dealing with the kind of consequences that bring us life because we have spent time sowing into our spirit. Now, I think we've kind of dealt out the word consequence as being only a negative thing. But, man, here's the deal. If you take care of yourself and you eat right and you exercise, your consequence will be health. You know what I mean? But if you sow into bounce from sexual relationship to sexual relationship, if you bounce from uh, addiction to addiction, if you bounce from, from identity, I mean, these are things that, 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 that as we continue, will harvest just continual levels of dysfunction in our life, and, and, and we deal with those consequences. But here's the deal, here's the truth, we're all bringing in some kind of harvest. The question is, what kind of harvest are you bringing in? And so here's, here's where we find ourselves in the story. We have Jesus and his followers, and they're on the scene. The scripture says that they go from one town, they crossed the, the, the other side of the lake, and, and, and immediately there's a crowd because that's just what happens when Jesus shows up. There's a crowd. 
And immediately they're met by the crowd, but this guy named Jairus, he's a synagogue leader. And if we were to translate um, Jairus' position today, instead of being like a synagogue leader or a local church pastor, if we were to kind of translate his position into our culture, um, he would kind of be the equivalent to to a professional athlete or movie star, uh, some kind of celebrity. Jairus was, here's the deal, he was the man. In this time frame, uh, the Greeks had their Olympians, the Romans had their gladiators, but, but the people of, of Jerusalem, the people uh, from all over Jerusalem, Judea, and Israel, what they had was their synagogue leaders, their local church pastors, because in that culture, religion was everything. Religion was the, 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 the cornerstone in which their culture existed in. And, and so Jesus finds himself face-to-face with this guy Jairus, and, he, and again, Jairus is the man. He, he's at a place where he has position, he has money, he has influence, he has fame, but here's what he has. He also has a 12-year-old daughter who's dying. And so it doesn't matter what his position is, what his title is, how much money he has, he is faced with something that none of those things can fix. He is faced with what is most important to him, what is most valued to him, his little, his little 12-year-old daughter. Jairus brings his issue to Jesus, and, G- and the Bible says that Jesus begins to go with him, and the crowds continue to go with him because Scripture talks about that the crowds are pressing in around Jesus. Like, that would, I would, I, if I would, I would, that would be awful all the time, just being kind of crowded with, I mean, I love people. But sheesh, I would just be stressed out. I would be a ball of anxiety if I was Jesus. Because it just said that the people around him, the crowd was all, always around him. So Jesus is going to Jairus' house to deal with the issue that Jairus brings to him. And then also in the crowd that day is this woman. None of the gospel accounts of this story actually ever give her a name. So she's this unnamed outsider who has spent the last 12 years on the outskirts of society because of this issue of bleeding that she has. She's lost her money because of Dr. Mark's gospel talks about that she, the, the, Mark says that she suffered from at the hand of many doctors and had spent all of her money trying to pay for these doctors. And, and then Mark says that she, she, didn't, she never got better as a matter, she actually got worse. But she's an outsider because of this issue, because of this issue of bleeding, as we're going to get into later with uh, the the Mosaic Law. She, she She wasn't married. She didn't have any children. She had no friends. She had no faith community. I mean, she was the antithesis of an outsider. So we have Jairus, who is esteemed, who's wealthy, who has position, who has power, who has influence. And then we have this woman who is unnamed, dealing with an issue that she can't get fi- figured out. And, and so we've got two people on the opposite spectrum of life, both needing the same thing from Jesus. They couldn't be more different, yet they couldn't be any more the same. And which leads us to point number two is this, we are all the same at the feet of Jesus. Man, when we need Jesus, we're all the same. There's no hierarchy. There's no position. There's no title. There's no pride. There's just seeking, hurting, searching, and hoping. That might historically be the shortest point ever that I've preached. So point number three is this. Undealt issues compound over time. 
So we've all got issues. And our issues bring us to be all the same at the feet of Jesus, but our undealt issues compound over time. Again, this woman, she had no money. This is one of those outsourced issues that didn't come, that she didn't go looking for. Why would she want this? But it came, ended up finding her. And this woman, again, the scripture says she has no money, she has no friends, she has no family that we can see of, and she has this physical situation that she has dealt with for over 12 years. And because the, the community and the crowd of her day looked at physical issues of blood as a judgment of God, her physical issue ultimately became a religious issue. Because in, 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 in Mosaic Law, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 15, it talks in, in a lot of detail about the law of, of ceremonial uncleanliness and ceremonial cleanliness. It's very detailed, it's very involved, it's very long, and I'm not going to dive into it. So I just want to, if you want to look it up, man, feel free, but just trust me, it's there. Um, but... So she has this physical issue, and because it's viewed in people's minds as, as God's judgment, then it becomes a religious issue because she, for 12 years without ceasing, has become ceremonially unclean. So therefore, she can't hang around with people who are ceremonially clean. And so because this physical issue has now compounded into being a religious issue, and because religion was the centerpiece of Judaic culture, her physical issue, which became a religious issue, has now moved into becoming a social issue. She's moved to the outskirts of culture with what she is dealing with for as long as she's been dealing with it. She would almost be treated like a leper in that society. Pushed out, ignored. Um, pro people probably didn't think about her on a day-to-day -day basis. No one cared for her well-being. So she's pushed to the outskirts of culture because no one wanted to get close to her because they would, again, become, in accordance with the law, ceremonially unclean. And the hoops that you had to jump through to become ceremonially cleansed and you would avoid that at all costs. It would be roughly about a 36-hour process to become ceremonially clean. And, and basically, as you worked a job, you got the wage for that day. As you, as you worked your job, you got paid at the end of the day for the work that you did. And so if you were a husband and a father and you were at work and you came in contact with or even somebody on the way to work, man, you forfeited that day's wage for your family. So can you imagine the type of avoidance this woman lived with every day? And, and, and what it says is that then it becomes, it, it's a physical issue, becomes a religious issue, becomes a social issue, then it becomes a financial issue. This, this, this issue, this issue of blood that this woman has dealt with, again, not by choice, has cost her, with no exaggeration, everything in her life. Everything in her life. And here's something that I'm continually learning about God. It's not fun lessons. I'm going to say that on the onset. This is not a fun lesson to learn. But I think it's a necessary lesson for us to learn because as, if you're a parent, sometimes the most necessary lessons for your kids to learn are oftentimes not the most fun. But one of the things that God is continually teaching me is that he will thwart the solutions in the physical to get us to give him everything. God will sometimes allow failure in the physical to push us, push everything we have towards him. Now, what I'm not saying is that just ignore physical solutions. I'm not saying that. Like, I mean, I think aspirin is great. I think it's wonderful. If you have a headache, take some aspirin. Take some Aleve, Excedrin, do whatever. 
Like, I think it's great. It's, it, it, theological is what we call common grace because it's, it's the solution to a situation that God has given someone wisdom to create. And so I am grateful for the person who created aspirin and Band-Aids and Pepto-Bismol and all these things. Like, I am grateful for those things. So what I'm not saying is just ignore physical help. That's not what I'm saying. Man, uh, I, I love people who, like, medical doctors and counselors and therapists. I'm so grateful for them and for the work that they do. But what I am saying is that God will sometimes allow those avenues to fail so that you have nothing else in this life to do than give it to him. Uh, when, I was a, when I was a youth pastor, when I was in Faribault, um, just, I feel like I'm a friendly guy. People like to talk to me. And Emma and I talk during our discussion time. Um, I, if I was a state fair food, I'd be Sweet Martha's cookies. Um, don't make me put you back behind the curtain, Teresa. I will put you back there. <laughs> but and, and this is a, very quickly. This is very much a rabbit trail. Um, but um, so I'm c pretty consistent. It's always there. Uh, so the Sweet Martha's—they're always there. They're—they're they're, um, they're sweet. I'm, I'm sweet. Um, um, they're messy. I'm, I'm messy at times. Um, and people either love me or hate me. And you know the people who, man, they love Sweet Martha's cookies. And then there's the people who hate them. And so that, I'm, a, I'm a Sweet Martha's cookie. Um, so, um, but people just come up and talk to me. And it was just, it was one of the joys of, of ministry is just the, the ways that God has allowed me to interact with people. And I love doing that. And this couple comes up to me and they, and they begin to... Um, it was just like, hey, welcome to church. And then they just kind of vomited life. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and so they began to just tell me about their marriage and how their marriage sucked and it was awful and it was horrible. And, 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 and they had been to therapist after therapist, counselor after counselor. They were at the, and they, they, the way that they put it, they said that we are at the end of our rope with each other and this marriage. All I said was welcome to church. That's all I said. Coffee's that way. Drink some coffee. See how your marriage feels after a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but, and the thing that I noticed is like, and I was very impressed is that they were putting, they were putting in the work. You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't the issue. I mean, they were, they were working it. They were working the issue. They were doing everything that you would think someone should do. And, 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 and they were just seeing no results. And then, um. And I was thinking about it, and it was just, again, I am not this smart, but they, I'm just so grateful for how the Holy Spirit works in very specific moments. And I, and I said, I mean, here's the deal, good for you for putting, I mean, that is a lot of work, what you guys are doing. And I said, I'm really sorry you're not finding the solutions that you're hoping for. I said, but can I ask you a question? And they said, sure. And I said, how often are you guys praying together? Like as a couple, not praying for the other person, but how often are you praying together? Does your day begin with prayer? Does your day end with prayer? Um, how often do you guys simply serve each other? S uh, serving each other not with, with any sort of uh, end goal in mind, uh, you know, um, or, or not sort of in any way to prove to the other person. I mean, what if it was just simply serving because, you know, like, like Tim said, you know, the Son of Man came to the world to, to serve, not to be served. What if we just served our spouses like Jesus? Um, I said, when was, I mean, how often are you doing that? And, and they just kind of looked at me like we've never, like, and, and, and he said, I think the, the husband said, I think the last time we prayed together was on our wedding. And I was like, Let's just start praying with each other. Start serving each other. 
Start doing the things that will affect the spiritual climate, but continue to pursue those things like therapy, but put Jesus in his rightful place, not, at f- not first in your life, because, man, whatever is first can always get bumped to number two. But put him at the center of your life where everything revolves around and, and just begin to see what God does. And it's amazing what Jesus can do when we put him at his proper place in our lives. It's amazing what Jesus can do. And, and the statement that they said that was so profound was this. I've, and I've hung on to this statement for years. It says, we're just at the end of our rope. Point number four is this. Jesus loves to hang out. And meet us at the end of our ropes. Jesus loves to hang out and meet us at the end of our ropes. I'm so inspired. This woman, I'm so inspired by this woman and the faith that she had. Verse 28 says in, 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 Luke, uh, in Luke 8 says, man, if I could just touch his robe, I would be healed. And what kind of, that, that's amazing faith. I don't even need to talk to him. I don't even need him to see me. I don't even need him to acknowledge me. All I need to do is I just need to get close enough that I can touch his robe. And because it's the robe, I just know it'll, I just know it'll heal me. But in this woman's instance, it wasn't about I, I don't care if he doesn't see me. Her instance was I can't have him see me. I can't have him know that I was, I can't have him know that, I, that, he, that he was in contact with me. Because again, she is dealing with an issue of blood, and she has dealt with it for 12 years. So for 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for 12 years straight, she is ceremonially unclean according to Mosaic law. And if someone who is ceremonially unclean comes in contact, again, it's about 36 hours for that person to become, become ceremonially clean once again. So she can't have Jesus know that she's made contact with him. She can't have Jesus know that she's worked her way through the crowd to get healing by just touching his rope. She can't have anyone know because there's masses that are surrounding Jesus. So she's coming into contact with more people in this afternoon than she has over the last 12 years. And as we read, and, and so she, what she's doing is she's understanding that if she, if people know that she's in contact with them, if Jesus knows that she's made contact with him, what is Jesus on his way to do? He's on his way to, to heal this 12-year-old girl who didn't go looking for the disease that was going to kill her. And then we come to find it as we read later that this, this sickness actually does kill her. And it's honestly most likely because of this interruption that Jesus doesn't make it in time, that she dies. And so this woman is taking <coughs> this woman is taking an incredible risk. She's moving an incredible risk and incredible faith. If she's discovered, she'll have interrupted and inconvenienced so many people because she's bumped into them. And, 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 and I mean, it could start a potential riot, but this woman, has, she's heard the stories about Jesus, and she's heard what he did on the other side of the lake, and she sees, man, maybe this is my only shot. Man, Jairus is at the same spot. Man, this could be my only shot. And so she works her way, and, 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 she, and she reaches out, and she touches just his robe. And, and verse 29 says that immediately the bleeding stopped. And I can imagine what she's thinking. She's like, yes, this worked. Like those moments where, like, God actually does what you need. It's like, I can't believe that worked. I can't believe this worked. And, 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 and all of a sudden, I can assume that she's trying to get out of the crowd as quickly as she got into the crowd. And then Jesus does something that ruins her day. 
He says, he asks a very simple question. He says, who touched me? Life plays out like a movie in my head. My life, I, I hope it's more like Indiana Jones than it is like some horrible movie. But like I just, you know, my, when I read the Bible, it plays out in a movie and I can kind of just see that Jesus is very calmly, just not even calling, but just he said, who touched me? And I can see this woman just freezing. And I can see this woman just begin to, like the scripture says, that she, just, she trembled. I can just see her begin to shake. And I can see her begin to sweat. And I can see her begin to cry. And she's not, she's trying to keep the tears inside because she doesn't want to give it away. Because again, and how many of us know, man, we, we, we try and hold back any sort of sign of our own issues. And so she's trying to keep it together. And, and Jesus says, who touched me? And if there's, I, I, I've, I've learned a few things in my life. And one of them is this. When Jesus asks a question, it's not because he, he needs to know the answer. When Jesus asks a question, most often it's, I think, nine and a half, 9.9999, of the time it's so that we could deal with the answer that he's looking for. And he says, who touched me? Jesus continues to look around the crowd. And then he makes eye contact with this woman. And in verse 33, it says, Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. This is the, the profound thing that I, I found in this. One of the more profound things I found in this story is that when Jesus asked her a question, um, there's no getting around the facts. So what did the woman do? She just, she just told the truth. She didn't tell a story. She didn't pass blame. She didn't, that wasn't me. You know, she didn't do any of that. What she did is, is she told the truth. And, and, and here's something that I know because I've been through it in my life is that there are maybe some of you in here this morning. And the reason you're not getting the results that you've been hoping and praying for is because you just won't call a spade a spade. You just won't call an issue an issue. You won't be honest about the issue that you're dealing with. Proverbs 12 tells us that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. And so here's the deal, man, is we're faced with, with the reality of our situation and we continue to lie. We continue to just live in this constant lie that everything's fine. And again, we are a place where it is totally fine for you not to be fine. So you don't have to hide behind your issue. You don't have to hide in the, in the fear of thinking, well, it's like, well, I'm not all put together. And, that, and here's the deal. I am action-packed with issues. That was my answer to question three. If I could fill in the blank, man, I am action-packed with issues. I am a graphic adventure novel full of issues. I am all eight movies of Harry Potter filled with issues. Like, I am, I am stacked with them. But there's freedom that comes with honesty. You don't have to be fine. It's just fine if you're not fine. We're a place that it's okay to not be put together. Hopefully, we've never put off as a church that that stigma that this is a place that belongs to the put-togethers because you're being led by a not-put-together, <laughs> you know? Hopefully, you guys aren't more put-together. I mean, that's just, but God works in the business of broken things. You know, that's like what he does. But we have to quit lying. 
1 John chapter 1 tells us that if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with him. And so here's the deal. If we bring our issues into the light, which is the truth and which is, is, is where God lives, then, then we're going to have community with God. And there is freedom in, in truth. There is freedom in honesty. And this woman is about to experience it. And my prayer this morning and, and my prayer for you today is that you would experience the same freedom from your issue that this woman did with hers. People were expecting Jesus to bring down the hammer because everything in the law said that he should. Everything that they had ever known said, man, this is the time for Jesus to lay into this lady. Man, she is inconvenienced. She was dealing with that and she touched me. Gross. Like it's like junior high all over again. Man, like she, ew, that's disgust. That's gross. And everyone is expecting because it's, it's, here's the thing. It's what Jesus should do. I can understand why she's standing before him trembling. But how does Jesus respond? He says, daughter. His first words to this woman didn't speak to the situation she dealt with, but spoke to her identity in who she is in Christ. He says, daughter. And think about what that one word meant for her on that day. She's no longer an outsider. He calls her daughter. So she doesn't go from being an outsider to being an insider. She moves straight past insider and says, hey, sit at the family table. Sit at the table where the family sits daughter, because you're no longer an outsider, and hey, you're a few steps past insider because you're now a part of family. And he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. That phrase, go in peace, changed everything about her, because that word peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom, and, and what shalom means, this is just straight from a commentary, it says it, 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 the peace of shalom that Jesus tells her to go in, it doesn't cover just the issue that she dealt with. It doesn't just cover one area of her life, but it covers everything. It, what, he's, what Jesus is saying, he's, he's, saying, he's saying, go in wholeness. Go in wholeness of mind. Go in wholeness of spirit and body. Go in well-being. Go in prosperity and go in friendship. What Jesus has done in this moment, as re- he has restored everything that she has been without for the last 12 years. Jesus is restoring not just her body. But everything that the sickness has taken away from her. And, G- and if Jesus can do the same for this woman, he can do it for you this morning too. Some of you this morning didn't come ready to deal with the issues that you walked in here with. Some of you did not come emotionally prepared. But here's the great news. That even if you didn't come to deal with it, Jesus came with healing in mind. Jesus came this morning with healing in mind for you. So the big idea before, before we close, if I could just ask Elena to come up and, 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 and just play behind. But the big idea for us this morning is this. Don't wait until you're at the end of your rope with your issues to be honest about your issues. Don't wait until you're at the end of the rope to begin to deal with what brought you to the end of your rope. And this morning, um, do things a little differently than I normally do it, so we'll see how this goes. But if you're here this morning, and, and again, 
I think we've created this kind of culture, this environment where we associate shame with honesty. Man, if I'm honest, then people will know. Man, if I'm honest, man, then, 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 then I can't hide anymore. If I'm honest, I mean, and, and the most important thing that I want us to know is that the fact that, man, no matter how hard you try and hide, God knows. God's aware. Well, shouldn't that be enough? It is enough. God is enough. But one of the genius things about God is that he's created us to live in community with one another. He's created us to exist with each other, to coexist, to serve one another, to love one another, to empower one another, to pray for one another, to speak life into one another. And, and the reality is, man, when I was going through my most darkest issue, when I was dealing with depression, when I was dealing with suicide, when I was dealing with all kinds of stuff, man, the one thing that I said is if I just don't tell anybody, it won't hurt anybody. no idea, Dad, if you remember saying this to me. But what my dad said to me was, he goes, you think you're doing us a favor. He goes, but you're killing us faster than you're killing me. And there is hope in community. There is hope in honesty. It doesn't mean you have to be transparent with everyone about everything, but man, Find someone. Find a specific person that you can be honest with. And so this morning, like, what I want us to do is I want us to just take that first step. Maybe we'll be honest for the first time in years. I don't know. But if you're in this place this morning and you've got a case of the issues and you are ready to be honest and not go into hiding and not go into your brain and not go to Facebook and not go to anything. But man, you say, man, I've got a case of the issues and I can only go to Jesus. I only want to go to Jesus and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him my issues and I'm gonna believe in faith that he's gonna replace my issues with more of himself. And if you're in here this morning, if you're saying, man, here I am, Jesus, issues and all. I want to give you my issues, and would you give me more of yourself? Would you just, with eyes, with heads up and eyes open, would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand? Say, yeah, I got issues. I'm dealing with issues. And I believe that what God is doing in this moment is he's seeing your honesty. And he is, he is beginning to work in the midst of the issues and he's beginning to slowly beginning to replace the issues with more of himself because that's what he does. The scripture says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, when we submit our lives to him, our, that same spirit lives within us. And so God is beginning to replace your death with a life-raising spirit. So just keep your hands up and keep your eyes open. The second group I want to talk to this morning is this. You have maybe done church your entire life. You say all the right things. You know all the right answers. You may have been away from church for a while. You may have come back for whatever reason. Maybe you're here this morning because someone promised you lunch. Make sure they make good on that lunch, though, because, man, free lunch is hard to come by in life. Um, but, uh, but, here, but the second group is that, man, you have not chosen yet to receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. I mean, you know about it. It's a great idea. You love the idea about it, but you haven't received it yet. You haven't been saved. Jesus 
hasn't saved you yet. And you may be asking yourself, why do I need to be saved? Why do I need to receive anything? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about that our nature, not our nurture, not how we were raised, but our nature is sin and darkness. But man, John 3.16 says, but God so loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to, 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 to shed his sinless, beautiful, perfect, divine blood to cover your sins and to make you new, to make you whole, and to make you a part of a family. So if you're in here this morning and you've never received the grace or forgiveness of Jesus, you can say, man, I've, Jesus has not saved me yet. He's my Savior because hell su sounds like it sucks. But, man, he hasn't become my Lord. If that's you, man, would you just, if, if you have one hand up, could you raise the other hand? And if you haven't raised any hands up yet, you say, man, today is the day. I need to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. I receive the grace that Jesus offers. I want to be saved from who I am, saved from what I've done. The reason I'm asking to do this publicly is because, man, this is a lifestyle. This is a life declaration. It's the greatest choice you could ever make in your life to not just receive the grace that God offers us, not to simply receive the grace that Jesus died for, men, but to live it out. Man, we got someone who raised both. Can we, just, can we just praise God this morning? Can we just clap our hands? Can we just rejoice, man, for the decisions that are being made, for the honesty that has been made? I want to pray real quick, and, and, and before I pray, I want to invite our prayer teams up this morning. If you're staff, if you're part of the team here, this is the chance to, to find your way up. And Those issues that we talked about, um, if you need prayer for those issues, if you need someone to pray for you, what I'm believing, again, is that you didn't maybe come in mind to deal with it, but Jesus came this morning and has come this morning with healing in mind. And so if you need prayer for anything this morning, one of the issues, and you just need God to just move so powerfully. Man, can you find someone who's up here? And they're going to pray. They're going to pray healing into your circumstance. They're going to pray healing into your situation. And I'm just going to believe for you in faith that you're about to walk out those doors completely different and transformed because that's what God does. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you are still in the business of healing, that you are still in the business of bringing life to dead things. That you are still in the business of working on us in the midst of our issues. And God, I just ask, God, for every single person, God, who raised their hands and were honest with the fact, yeah, I got issues. God, I ask that they, they would make good on the second part and Jesus go right to you and give their issues directly to you. And God, that you would begin to replace the issue with who you are. God, I thank you, God, for decisions that were made, for choices that were made, God, to surrender and receive grace and forgiveness from you, that we could say that, man, because of Jesus, I am now saved. I thank you for the decisions that were made. And God, I'm so grateful that more, more than anything, you don't take us from outsider to insider, but you take us from outsider to family. Where you pull the seat back at the family table and say, well, yeah, we got a seat for you here. Lord, thanks for loving us like you do. Thanks for loving us so well. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you need to go, man, you can go. Feel free to go. But, man, if you need prayer this morning, again, I believe that, that there's healing that's going to take place this morning. 
I used to tell my students, we used to have pizza out in the lobby after youth group. And I used to tell them this. Don't rush into your next plan and cheat God out of his. And so if you need prayer this morning, again, it's fine not to be fine, but man, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to speak life into you because we love you and we believe in you. So have a great, great rest of your day. You got to go, man. Feel free to go. Enjoy the 60-degree weather. So don't forget to come back next week. We're going to wrap this, this series up. It's going to be a great Sunday. We're going to have communion together. It's, it's, I'm so excited about I was excited about this week, but I'm even more excited about next week. And so um, but have a wonderful day. If you got to go, man, feel free to take off. But if you need prayer, why don't you come up and find uh, Nathan, Tim, or Nancy. And uh, they'd love to pray for you. Have a great rest of your day. Love you guys. Once again, thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We want to be able to walk with you and beside you as you go throughout life. So if you ever have a need for prayer, we want to be able to pray with you. Please email us at motioncityprayer at gmail.com. We would also love to have you join us in person next week. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. at Falwell School of Performing Arts. We hope you have a fantastic week.